Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote, and we are so delighted you've decided to join us again. This is kind of part two in an episode that Lynn and I are doing on our identity in Christ. Um, last time we talked about the new miniseries that's out called Under the Banner of Heaven, a rather dark, grim look at the impact of um, Mormon-related and Mormon splinter group authority, revelation, all those views, and how they impact choices that people made. But we use that to springboard into how much identity within many, pretty much every religious system, identity in most religious systems are you and how much you're doing on behalf of God and how much you're measuring up. And if you're measuring up to whatever those standards are and following those and so, but how within biblical Christianity, that is totally opposite that within biblical Christianity, our ultimate identity is not us. Our ultimate identity is in the person of Jesus, what he's done for us, and how we think about ourselves, we need to take directly from what God says about is true of us, not what we feel, or what we've been told, or what the world or culture around us is saying. And so when we, when we ended last time, Lynn was like, wow, there are like a couple of really good scriptures that speak to this, and we were out of time. So Lynn, take us there today. Take us to these scriptures because that's where we want to rest. We want to put our trust and our confidence, not in how we feel or what we think or what we've been told, but what does God actually say about who we are in Jesus? Because that's rock solid. That you can live your life on and live your life out from. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, I think many people leave Mormonism, go to a secular life, and don't examine all things from Mormonism. Everything you knew has to be reexamined and the truth about that thing found. And a lot of former Mormons I talk to still have ideas stuck in their head that I recognize came from Mormonism and aren't true according to the Bible. Um, But the Bible says if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. I came to the point of being a new creation in Christ when I read John 5, 24, whoever hears my word. So I'd gotten into the Bible and I started (laughs) reading about Jesus. Whoever hears my word believes him who sent me. So you've got the father and the son has eternal life. That's it. You're not hoping for it. I hope I've done enough by the end of my life. No, no. At the point of faith, you have eternal life. It says you will not be judged. Why? Because you've been judged already at the point of belief in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, eternal life is a done deal for you. Um, 
blew me away. And it says you can cross over from death to life. And I said, Lord, I'm ready to cross over and everything, everything changed at that point. But I had to be in the word for quite a while to figure out who I was in Christ. And here I am 15 years in Christ. And I can tell you, Joel, I still go back to some of those dark places from before I knew Jesus and certainly things like under the banner of heaven are triggers oh, for me. Oh my, yes. Another... Uh, when you said you were watching it, I thought, oh, Lynn, <laughs> oh, there's going to be so much here that's going to be hard. Yeah. So I was, I know we've got a really wide range of people who listen or watch this podcast. And so for people who might be maybe early in the process and they're still struggling with like some of those triggering things, would you mind sharing like what maybe one or two of those were and then how you now process that differently because of your faith, because of your identity in Christ? A lot of the triggers for me are, um, I go back to a dark feeling when I think of Mormonism because I was in bondage. I wasn't aware I was in bondage, but as soon as I got yeah. free, I knew I was in bondage. And so when I go back to Mormon thought or Mormon teachings, it'll take me back to that feelings place of bondage again. Um, so Under the Banner of Heaven has done that for me. There was a TV series that Leah Remini did a couple of years ago. She okay. left Scientology. She's an actress who left Scientology okay, yes. and then did a two-year TV series about what it was like to be shunned by people who are Scientologists, kicked out of your family. A lot of that was similar enough to Mormonism and the sure. people that I um, work with as they leave Mormonism, that that was terribly triggering for me. I could only watch a little bit of it. I don't think Mormons really their similarities with other yes. performance-based places like right. Jehovah Witness, like um, Scientology, right? Um, right. Very cult-like yes. kind of requirements within the system. Yeah. The very high performance systems, high demand systems where, and everything about who you are is not measured by your relationship to God. It's by your, it's measured by your relationship to the organization. And so exactly. the identity is tied far more to your religious organizational ties. And I think you and, you and I have both seen this happen with LDS people who even while a Mormon came to faith in Christ, they came to recognize personal need. They did that, what we refer to as a double transfer, where they all of a sudden realized I have all the sin on my ledger. I can't get rid of it. I'm, there's no way I'm going to be perfect. And they hear that, oh, Jesus is willing to trade me my sin for his perfect righteousness. And as an LDS person, they go, I want that. And they do, they make that trade. And all of a sudden they're this transparent creature. They start understanding their faith from different eyes. And now their focus is Jesus. Now it's like, um, Jesus is enough for me. I, I don't like need to do, but the minute they start expressing that and trying to share that with LDS people, then all of a sudden they're not accepted. They're um, and it's not like they've lost their faith in God. They haven't lost their faith in Jesus. If anything, they're more committed. They haven't lost their faith in the scripture, at least the Bible right. is scripture, but because they no longer have primarily their tie to the organization, the organization now says, well, we do not accept you. 
So that, I mean, that's, if that's the religious organization you're a part of, and if that's what part of your identity is, or the majority of it is, we're just here to say, there's a way better path to follow, where there's an identity in Christ. So the Bible says things like, um, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's it's simple. It's that simple. <laughs> yes. It's that simple. You have just having faith in Christ, but having faith in the right Christ, because the Bible's very clear to warn you of other Christ, other Christs that teach other things that aren't in the Bible. This is a God of love. His love is just so, 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 so overwhelming. There's this wonderful passage in Romans 8 that asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, that doesn't mean that I'm conjuring up this love of Christ. Right. It means he loved me before the foundations of the earth that he right. would call me to himself, right? So um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it goes through this long list of things. <laughs> Will yes. tri- tribulation separate us? No, often tribulation makes us closer, right? Because right. we're calling out to God. Will distress? No, same thing. Persecution? No. no. Famine? No, again, God, please provide for me. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. I am persuaded that neither death, this is Paul, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Um. I wanted to jump to something that I remembered from Meldias scripture as I was reading this passage. (laughs) I'm curious where you're going with this. Well, it says that um, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from Christ. In the Bible, powers and principalities are demonic. Right. The, The evil spiritual dark realm. Yes. You're not good. Well, let me read you something from Mormon scripture <laughs> that I remembered. Okay. DNC 121.29 says, All thrones and all dominions, principalities, and powers shall be revealed and set forth upon all who have endured valiantly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So everyone who endures valiantly for the Mormon gospel will be given thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. I don't want those. They're demonic. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fascinating that they pulled from that and turned something that's very much a negative and very much a dark uh, from the side of evil, and then now associated that somehow with what's good. And yet this, this love of God gives you a freedom and an acceptance um, that are not based on works. So first Peter three, eight, nine, we're told be of one mind. Okay. Now you're a believer, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this and that you may inherit a blessing. Um, 
what a much better way to deal with people than to constantly be judging them and decide if they need to be disfellowshipped or excommunicated, right, Joel? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And again, so much of that is always based on, largely based on externals, that judgment that comes from what we call performance-based religions, high performance, high demand religious groups, it's externals. It's how they see you living out. And so often there's no or very little inside look. And this is one of the things that um, struck me very early on when I started engaging with LDS people in ministry. I remember one phone call, we would send out a newsletter that went out mostly to LDS homes. We would have former Mormons like give us their like ward directories and say, here, start sending this. And if somebody wanted to come off the list, we took them off right away. So I remember one lady called her office after we'd done a mailing and she called up to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm really offended by this. I don't want to get this anymore. And I said, absolutely. We will take you off the mailing list. Um, and knowing I probably wouldn't have much contact with her again, I said, so I'm going to take you off the list. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to call. Um, I hope that maybe you at least read the newsletter. You must have read enough to be offended by it. I said, but would you be willing to do me a favor what, you know, like what kind of favor do you want me to do? I said, well, here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to simply pray. I'm assuming you're a praying person as an LDS person. She's like, well, yes. I would like you to pray and ask Heavenly Father to reveal to you anything in your life, any sin or anything that's actually keeping you from close relationship with him. Because I've experienced sometimes there are things that I just don't see. And as a person of faith, I'm thinking, that that might be interesting. And so, and I know Heavenly Father wants to answer those sorts of prayers. So would you be willing just mm -hmm. over this neck, the rest of this week to just pray that prayer and say, Heavenly Father, would you please show me any sin in my life that I'm not seeing that might be keeping me from you? And her response was no. Well, of course not. Why would I want to pray something like that? There'd be no sin there even for me to see. And I remember I didn't, I wasn't going to fight her on it. I just said, okay, um, you're, you're going to have to make your choices. I'm kind of sorry to hear that, but please let you, you know, let you know, we will be taking you off the list and you won't be getting anything else. If you ever need anything, don't have, but I hung up for that conversation thinking, wow, how sad that the religious system has fostered such a lack of awareness of the internal sin that a person would not even want to like pray and even just ask God if there's something they're missing. And I just remember hanging up thinking, oh gosh, that's so heartbreaking. She's not even open to taking the first step to seeing her true spiritual need. This religion has so created this artificial, external, superficial bubble of goodness so, and I don't know if you were ever there, because I know you were ticking all the boxes, you and your family. Um, <laughs> you don't know if I was ever there. I think we've talked about yeah, this before, okay. and it's definitely in the book, but you're right. I thought I was pretty wonderful because I had had a temple recommend for 30 years, worked in the temple, had a stake calling. You know, my husband always had the callings too. My kids all, my boys all went on missions, that kind of stuff. In the Mormon church, that's what matters, right? right? And so I thought I was pleasing Heavenly Father. 
started reading the Bible, realized this probably wasn't the same Jesus or the same God, blown away by the God of the Bible, give my life to him one night. And the one of the first things he did for me, Joel, besides open my eyes, change my thinking, make the scriptures come alive to me, was show me my sin. And that process for me took a year and a half, 18 full months of God bringing to mind, remember this, remember this, remember this. And the first one he dealt with me with was pride. My pride was so, uh, remember I talked about that high self-esteem last time and low Mm self-esteem. I would have been in the high self-esteem category because I was taught that if you do all these things, Heavenly Father's pleased with you. This is his real church and the only real church. And so you have reason, right, to feel right. good about yourself. That's what you're striving for anyway. But boy, the God of the Bible, 18 months showing me my sin that I had been unaware of. And there was a point where I was face down on my carpet, weeping, going, Lord, are we, I can't take much more of this. A year and a half is a long time, but I had been unaware for a long time. And, and I heard in my spirit, hang on, you're about to rise up. And And then I came to a point of freedom, but I needed to go through that process. I think to totally understand what, what God requires and who he is and how I can't meet that standard and how I am a wretched sinner. And without Christ, I have no hope. And so one thing that happened after 18 months of going through my sins was I now had a full understanding of how seriously I needed a savior and how I was done without one. And how all of a sudden that robe of the perfect righteousness of Christ, because Jesus tells that parable of the wedding feast where, and it was a custom of the day that, you know, if you came into a wedding, very often there was like these special like wedding robes and they would, no matter what you were wearing, when you came in, they gave you this and that's what you put on. So no matter how good, well-dressed or poorly dressed you were, when you came in, everybody got like this wedding robe thing. And Jesus talks about this guy who comes and for whatever reason, he doesn't want the robe. He refuses to put it on, which had been incredibly insulting um, to the host. Mm. And when the host comes around and he's like looking at all his guests and he comes across this guy who doesn't have the robe on, I mean, who knows, maybe he just bought new clothes for the party and he wanted to show them off. We don't, we don't get that part of the story. Some of the things I want to ask Jesus when I get there about his parables, because there are so many like things I want to know about the backstory of this parable. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he says, what are you doing without the robe? And the guy doesn't have an answer. And, and the host says, throw him out. I no, you don't belong here. If you're not going to take my robe that I'm offering to be at my mm. party, you have no part of me. And in scripture, we have an incredible picture of being wrapped in the robes of righteousness. And so, but I think the more we're aware of our own sinfulness, the more we value that robe, the more we tightly cling to that. And the more we derive our identity from the robe of righteousness that comes from Jesus that we're wearing and not whatever we've got underneath, good or bad. So, And one of the things that happened as a result of my being aware of my own sin 
was all of a sudden, I'm not as judgmental toward other people because I'm well aware that I'm probably the worst out there, right? And it's okay because I have the righteousness of Christ. And it gives us the freedom to let people be who they are, let Jesus love them and transform their lives because we realize he's doing the same thing for us. And I, I think, yeah, that that personal awareness of sin and even after a believer, I, we still have that, but it's totally different because we realize even as we see, because there's still times when I'll get brave enough to say, okay, God, I'm kind of struggling. You know, is there something that's entered my life that I'm not aware of that I'm missing? Um, so, you know, if there is, I trust you to gently show me uh, my sin. And I don't do that very often because God's never not answered that prayer. And it's always been kind of really hard to see, but it's always been great. But I can do that now because even if God shows me something that I've missed for a while, and there's been times I've gone back to relationships that I've apologized for 10 years mm. of a pattern. I'm just now seeing them going, oh, my heart, I haven't just done that like last week or last month. I've been doing that for you know a long time. And just to say, I'm so sorry. I'm, But I can do that because at the end of the day, my identity isn't wrapped up in me. I've got this robe of righteousness and my acceptance mm. by God isn't caught up in that either. And so, like you said, there's this freedom to just be who you are and love people where they're at and love people from where you're at. Um, it's an amazing freedom that. that and I don't there's know, only, I, I don't care what other people think of me. Literally, that was one of the greatest freedoms. And especially if you're going to step into public ministry, you don't need yeah. to be worrying about everyone's opinion. There's one opinion that matters. You go to your knees and you go to father and you trust him to lead you. And certainly if you mess up, then you're going to do what you just said. You're going to apologize. <laughs> or you're going to make it right. Yep. But other than that, it only matters your relationship with a God who loved you before the foundation of the world. Yeah, And that, that identity is a gift. It's a privilege. It's a superpower because when you are free to do that, all of a sudden you are free to be who God has designed you to be and to start living out the Mm. dreams he has for you because you're no longer so worried about you and you're no longer so worried about what other people think. You're just free to be who God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do and step into that as fully as possible. And to me, that's one of the biggest hopes I think of heaven is I think that's just going to continue that once we cross over at death, we're going to be all of a sudden totally free to be who God created us to be in his heaven with none of the barriers, none of the restrictions. And I think that's why we have a whole eternity to continue to develop and be and relate to God and other people in ways that are quantumly more unimaginably larger than what we've got now, what we're going to experience in terms of relationships and being and enjoying other people in God's presence. We're going to need an eternity to do that. Because frankly, you know, I want a thousand years with Jonah um, just to talk about what was going on, you know, and, and where he came out the other side. And so, and you think about all the people we know and love and be able to experience that with them, that unhindered fellowship connection with with God and with other people. I don't know. That's an amazing thing. To me, it's one of the exciting things about 
um, leaving this life, stepping into the next. I think that's part of the reason why Paul would say, hey, for me to live is Christ. In this life, I'm all about Christ. I'm wanting people to experience him. And when I die, dying is gain because now I get Christ and everything else um, in its fullness. So he said, I'm torn. I'm torn between staying and being used by God here and going and experiencing the wonder and the beauty and everything that I was created to know. So that's a really rich identity. So as LDS, I would say I was <laughs> yeah. a cog in the machine. I was just one part of what, and and if I didn't do my part, they just they just have someone else do it, right? Yeah. But the idea that the scripture says that he created me for a purpose from before the world began, yes. a purpose that's unique. Mm-hmm. So he designed my desires, my thoughts, my gifts, my struggles, all of that, so that I might fulfill that purpose that he had for me. And it's not necessarily something someone else can do, although God can use rock. Right, exactly. Uh, But this wonderful idea that you're loved personally and that God has something for you to do that gives you this idea that will give you great peace. And at the end of your life, you know, then you can feel like your life has been greatly worth it. Right. And your end of the life is only the beginning because it's just like closing one chapter and yeah, opening up one that's going to be unimaginable. Oh, Lynn, that's rich stuff. Thank you so much for uh, launching us into this conversation on identity. And for you, our listeners, we just, we invite you to enter into that. And the best way to do that, mm-hmm. um, Lynn's quoted from Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. Those are two of the best chapters. If you want to know what your identity is in Christ, camp out in those two chapters. And obviously both of those books, but they're especially. And that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 about being a new creature, and that whole chapter ends with the key to experiencing that because second corinthians 5 21 says that he god made him jesus to who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of god in him he took our whooping for us yes (laughs) and we get to enjoy the righteous reward um, in that fellowship and that relationship Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this life. Amen. Until next time, Joel, grace and peace to you. So long, Lynn. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.